0: So for many of you may or may or you may or may not know is that I've got a a heart for camp. It's one of the reasons why I do camp. The reason why I would direct a camp is cuz I have a heart for it. I really do. And the reason why I have a heart for it is because it's it's what God used to grab me. I didn't come to faith at a camp. I came to faith on my on my bed when I was a young child, but really God used camp to launch me into ministry. And actually, I grew up in a home church, and camp was really my first exposure to large, like, corporate Christianity. And so I really had not been exposed to corporate Christianity until I went to a summer camp one year as a sophomore in high school. It was my sophomore and junior year. It was interesting because it was at Redwood Christian Park, and some of you guys know Redwood Christian Park, but that was my first year. And so I, I went there, and I was like, okay, okay, so I'm going to get, I'm going to see what happens when Christians get together. What is this corporate Christianity? What happens when all of Christianity gets together? There's a camp, high school camp, and uh, this high school camp, the first year that I was there, it had a theme, and the theme was, uh, do you remember the show 90210, Beverly Hills 90210? Like back in the day, this is like they rebooted it, but this was before the reboot. This was just like the boot, and uh, and so that was just. This is even before, but it was like on the the waning years of 90210. So it wasn't like when it was in its peak. It was like it was faded. I think they were like moving towards the college years, and they thought to themselves, these people that were running the camp, we should have a camp themed after a show that has good morals and right living. How about 90210? And I think to myself now, in in retrospect, I go, it's a horrible theme. And even then, it was not a good theme. But somewhere they are like, you know what? I'll give them credit to this. They committed to it. They weren't just like, you know what? We'll come up with this idea and we'll just kind of let it be. Like, they committed to the 90210. Our shirts were the logo, except for it was, the, it was the zip code where we were, 95006. And to this day, I know that zip code has been burned into my memory, 95006. They renamed, they renamed the, uh, the snack bar. Anyone know? Remember the snack? The Peach Pit. Yeah, they call it the snack by the Peach Pit. We had, we had to do this, uh, this scavenger hunt. And in the scavenger hunt, we had to find a Dylan doll, a Brenda doll. There was this poster for 90210 that we had to find. And they were super committed. And if that weren't enough, and trust me, that was more than enough. If that wasn't enough, somebody thought on the worship team, they thought, you know what we should do? We should rewrite a song, but we'll use the theme song of nine oh two one oh, but we'll just change the lyrics. Dun 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 Praise God dun dun, dun, dun dun There's more to life than what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside that matters the most Burn to my memory forever. Forever. And I thought to myself, this is my word. this is my first exposure to corporate Christianity. And I thought, This is strange. This is really weird. And if this is corporate Christianity, I don't know. Now what's weird than that is that camp was great. I went back to camp and as a counselor and started going back so as a camper, then graduated, went back as a counselor. And started investing into the camp that had poured so much into me. And as a counselor, there's a year, the year, actually it was interestingly enough, like the last year I did, I did uh, counseling, uh, just so out of the cabinet of students, is that I remember at the end of that week, I said, God, this is what I want to do with my life. There are these people that are, that are wanting to know about you, and I get to invest in them in a week. And I get to tell them about you and, 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 and tell them about who you are, Jesus, and drive them closer to you and, and and pull them in. I said, I want to do this with my life. And I wasn't actually even thinking about full-time ministry. I was just thinking, I just want to do, I, I do this one week out of the year. I want to do this year-round. And so I did that as a counselor. And then they actually invited me into the program staff. And I said, Josh, would you, would you start helping us... Uh, cultivate program a program that would would drive people to jesus and so i got greater influence and i started crafting some games and so some games that would help to be a part of the camp and come up with ideas and what we do in the night and stuff like that and then they said well josh would you would you run the week and the sense of like from the up front would you be our MC?" and then they gave me a microphone big mistake right They said would you would you take this microphone Said, yeah, yeah. And I remember like, one of my mentors early on, he told me, he says, Josh, your key is to be good up front without needing to be up front. And so I started doing the MC thing. And, and I, I followed in the shoes of my, actually, my really good friend, uh, Jeff Bachman. And, uh, and he had set the bar high for me. And so that first year was just sort of like trying to, to fill some shoes. But then after that first year, I really started to come into my own. Yeah, I started to kind of have my, my, own, my own flavor. And there was this night of program where we got up and I did the program and it just crushed from start to finish. Like everything we did worked. The game worked. The skit worked. It was, it was a video. The video worked. Kind of the interaction with the students. It was, it was, they, they were, students were tracking. They were loving it. They were having fun, laughing, engaged. I end my time. We go into worship, and I'm thinking, that's what it's about. I'm going to the back, high-fiving people. Boom, boom. Oh, that was hilarious. Awesome. Great. And my mentor was sitting in the back, and I thought, actually, I'm glad that he's here for this, because this is really—this was, this was part of him, right? I mean, he's he spoken he spoke into my life, and this night has been great, and he, he gets to see that it's bearing the fruit of his ministry— And so I sit next to him and just kind of like sit in, draw in from from him. I'm waiting for it, waiting for it. He doesn't say anything. So I throw him a softball, right? So what would you think? He says, oh, Josh, that was great. That was great. I know. (laughs) He says, it's just one problem. So what's that? Cause that was all about you, and then he walked away. That's what good mentors do. And I thought to myself, "See, I got into ministry wanting to tell somebody, make sure that people knew about Jesus, and I, I realized I, how quickly it can devolve into something else. How quickly even things like ministry can can devolve into be." something about selfish ambition. That wasn't where it started, but that's actually where it had, had come to. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to, to take you to a place in the Bible, I think one of the clearest examples of selfish ambition in the Bible. Now, I know what you're thinking. Ah, we go to Adam and Eve. No, we could, but no. Cain and Abel. No, we could go there too, but no. Tower of Babel. No, we could go there, but we're not going to. David and Bathsheba. No, no. Ahab and Jezebel. No, no. Ananias and Sapphira. No. There's a lot of places we could go, which actually tells me that selfish ambition isn't anything new. It's been around for a really long time. And it's been something that we've had to battle for a really long time. It's all over the pages of the Scriptures. The place I want to, take to you, talk to you to this morning is from Mark chapter 10. So if you've got your Bibles, go there. We're going to start in verse 35, and we're going to go actually through the end of the chapter this morning. It says this, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, referring to Jesus, And said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right and one at your left in your glory. Now this comes in context, right? Something's been happening up until this point. And so Jesus is actually getting ready to go to Jerusalem to die. As we see in in Mark chapter 11, we see the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So this is actually taking place right before he's going to go to Jerusalem to die. But it's not just Mark chapter 10. You could actually go back to Mark chapter 8. And if you looked at Mark chapter 8, it's not going to be up on the screen, but if you looked at Mark chapter 8, Jesus talks about his death and resurrection in Mark chapter 8. He says, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again. But just so you know, he says things like whoever would would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what good is it, basically, to, to gain everything but to forfeit your soul? If you want to be great in the kingdom, the greatest in the kingdom will be those who serve, not those who are served. And so in Mark chapter 8, we see Jesus say, I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised. And what I want you to do is I want you to serve one another. This kingdom looks different. In Mark chapter 9, we see the exact same thing. Jesus foretells his death and resurrection. And then directly following in Mark chapter 9, what we see is then the disciples are talking about what? Who's the greatest? Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm gonna go to Jerusalem. I'm gonna go to die. They're on the way to Capernaum. And they're talking about who's the greatest. I love Jesus because Jesus says, "What were you guys talking about back there?" What? Wait. What? Huh? Yeah, the conversation you guys had going on the road. What was that about? What? Wait. Um, about Mark's fashion? No, 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 no. Like, what was the other conversation you were talking about? Oh, the one about who's the greatest. That conversation. That argument? So in Mark chapter 8, we see death and resurrection followed by you have to be a servant. Mark chapter 9, we see death, resurrection, followed by this conversation of who's the greatest. And then in Mark chapter 10, we get this passage, but if actually, if you look just back up, just a few verses, what do you see? You see, Jesus foretells about his death a third time. And this time he says... This is it's not on the screen, but chapter 10, verse 33. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles. He's going to be condemned to death, delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. He's going to be delivered to death, mock, spit on, flogged, and killed. John and James. I think this is a good time to ask about about a favor. Like John and James. You have to take the temperature of the room, man. Like what what has been happening up until this point? He's going to talk about his death. He's like, so I'm going to be spit on, mocked, delivered to death, crucified. How do you bring this up? How do you transition the conversation from that to like, Wow. Jesus, that's tough. That's real tough. So I was thinking about your right and your left hand. Are those spots, before you go to die, are those spots spoken for? And I love what they do here. You hear the question? We want you to do what we ask you. They're trying to trick him into it. Try to see if he can agree to whatever it is that we ask before we actually ask it. They should know enough by now, right, to go, he's not going to fall for that. Try to get to him to, to say yes first. And then, this is what they ask of, right? We want to sit on your right and your left hand. But I love this. Do you see what it says? Grant us to sit right one at your right hand and one at your left hand in what? In your glory. In other words, in other words, Jesus, we don't want to sit on the throne. We just want to be really close to the throne. Jesus, we don't want this isn't about my glory. Oh no, 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 no. This is about your glory, Jesus. And we just want to sit as close to that glory as possible. And Jesus sees right through this. You're thinking, there's there's two seats, Jesus. There's two of us. I don't know if it could be any clearer. But the problem is, is what we see here is we see selfish ambition. There's a problem with selfish ambition. It's in all of us. And it taints almost everything we do. There's a bit of me, there's a bit of selfish ambition in me and preparing for a message on selfish ambition. Right? I want to preach well. I want you to think well of, of, of the sermon. And it's so easy to, 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 to quickly move to like, whoa, well, whoa, well, no, the reason why I want to preach well, not because people think that I'm a great preacher. No, 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 Jesus. I want to preach well for your glory. And a lot of times, in fact, all the times, right? Selfish ambition is just selfish ambition. But you know what we call it? We go, oh no, that's see if it's if it's about your glory, Jesus, that's no longer selfish ambition. You know what that is? That's holy ambition. That's holy ambition. I go sometimes, in fact all the times, selfish ambition is selfish ambition. And putting holy on the front of that, it doesn't change anything. It just changes what we call it. And so here we see they go, Jesus, we want to be on your right and your left hand. We want to sit in your glory. Would you grant that to us, Jesus? I wonder if uh, when James and John, when they saw Jesus crucified and they saw the thieves on his right and his left hand and what it looked like to be on the right and the left hand of Jesus, if they began to rethink this, this, this request right here. Oh no. That's what it looks like to be on the right and the left hand of Jesus. You see, the selfish ambition. Part of the problem of selfish ambition is that it seeks, it seeks glory. Selfish ambition seeks glory. And not only does it seek glory, but often selfish ambition, as we see here, it's callous to the suffering of other people. Jesus just said, I'm going to die. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be crucified. They're going to spit on me and reject me and be delivered over. suffering, suffering, suffering. And because they're they're selfishly ambitious and seeking the glory, they are callous to his suffering. So selfish ambition, it seeks glory and it is callous to the suffering of other people. I love Jesus' response in 38. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized? It's a rhetorical question, by the way. The implied answer is no, you're not. James and John. Then they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. And so Jesus says, are are, are you able to do what it is? Are you able to drink, by the way? Are you able to share with this, to, to drink of the cup? By the way, the cup, I believe, is God's wrath. Are you able to take on God's wrath and the baptism is that of death? Are you able to take on God's wrath to the point of death with me? Yeah, 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 Jesus. Yeah, sure, we could do that. Whatever you say. We get the right and the left hand, right? Jesus says, well, I'll grant you the one, but I can't grant you the other. You can do this, but I, for this one over here, I, I, I can't actually, that's not even mine to give. It's only for that who's been, for those who has been prepared. So it's interesting because selfish ambition, not only does it seek glory and is callous to the suffering of other people, but selfish ambition, it also creates blind spots, a short-sightedness. So he just says, this is what's going to cost. Here's the cost. Here's the cost. Here's the cost. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Because if it means that I get to sit at your right and your left hand, then absolutely whatever that cost is, it's worth it. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. I think that James and John were so focused on obtaining the glory that they failed to see the suffering that would lead to it. Of course, Paul hadn't written Paul hadn't written anything yet. He hadn't written Romans eight seventeen, which I thought might be helpful for them, which says we are children of God and by definition heirs, provide we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him, that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. I think this might have been helpful information for James and John. See what James and John wanted. James and John wanted the glory of the resurrection without the suffering of the crucifixion. Give us the glory, but we want no part of the suffering. And Jesus says, well, I'll give you the suffering. <laughs> but who that glory goes to, that, that, that's the father gets to decide that. Then, you know there's not just two disciples, right? There's 12 Verse 41And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John, indignant. They heard the request. The selfish ambition it seeks the glory is callous to the suffering of other people. As we see the selfish ambition, it creates this short-sightedness, and the selfish ambition it destroys community. The other 10 were indignant. How dare they make such a pretentious request? Let Jesus decide who gets to sit on the right and left hand, right? Let Jesus, in in his fairness and in his impartiality, through a rubric which he has designed, and which I'm probably ahead in, let him decide. How dare they ask? It's interesting because the destroyed community, there are three, three inner people, right? James, John, and Peter. Those are the inner three. Of the 12, there's the inner three, James, John, and Peter. And James and John are like, can we get the seat? What about Peter? Oh, there's, no, there's, there's just a right and a left. I guess Peter's on the out. That's his problem for not asking sooner. And the other 10 were indignant. I love that word. John taught, preached on that word in, in his sermon, indignant. I love it. It just says something. But this happens, right? Happens in you, happens in me. I mean, think about this happens often actually even in death. You I mean, think maybe like, you know, grandpa dies. People are mourning. But everybody wants to know what's going to happen with grandpa's 57 Chevy. Who's it going to go to? I mean, that's, that was his first car. Him and grandma went on their first date in that car. He drove that car everywhere. Every Sunday, he brought it to church. Who's going to get that car? And the family starts to talk, right? Well, we think grandma should get it, but grandma doesn't drive anymore. And grandpa would want the car to be driven, Who's going to get that car? Y'all we we all, we all have your ideas, right? Well, I think, you know, if it's not going to go to grandma, I should probably go to this. And everybody's got their ideas. And there you are at the funeral. The funeral's going. And your cousin shows up. And your cousin, the funeral's going. Cousin shows up. Sits right in front of you. Leans over to Grandma. And says, Grandma, it would really mean a lot to me if I could get Grandpa's 57 Chevy. I've got great memories of that car and the memories in that car of going to the the drive-ins with him. It would just mean a lot to me. There you are, indignant. (laughs) How dare they ask, right? How dare they ask? And part of the indignation is because you wanted that car. And if you thought this was the proper time to ask for the car, you would be asking for it. How dare she ask for it right now? The other 10, indignant. And I think one of the reasons why they're indignant is because they wanted it. And how do I know that? Well, we see it in the next verses. 42 and following. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise it over them, authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The way that we know that, I think that, that it's, it was an issue with all of them, is Jesus called all of them to him. James and John make the request. The others are indignant. And he says, I want all of you to come. I'm going to talk about that. And he says the way it works with the Gentiles is different. How do you achieve greatness? With the way that the Gentiles is different. They achieve power, they maintain the power, then they abuse the power. And the new people get the power, then they maintain the power, and then they abuse the power. And the new people come in and then they obtain the power, they maintain the power, and then they abuse the power. It's interesting because a lot of governments have come and gone. A lot of rulers have come and gone. But the same could be said true of many governments and rulers today. Which tells me the problem's not going away anytime soon. They obtain, they maintain, they abuse the power. And Jesus says, among you, it should not be so. The selfish ambition that you have, you're seeking your own glory. You become callous to the sufferings of other people, Right? And, and in, and in this, you've lost this you've lost your sight there's a short sightedness of you that is destroying this community among you it should not be so you should be seeking to serve one another Jesus invites them into this upside down kingdom where the first are last the last are first and those that are least are the greatest of all I love when Jesus says, among you it shall not be so. Out there in the world, of course it's that way. Out there in the world, of course it's among you. It shouldn't be this way. Of course the Pharisees are like that. Of course the Gentiles are like that. Of course the Romans are like that. Of course the Greeks are like that. But among you, it should not be so. And so Jesus says, I think he's showing this selfish ambition is destroying this community this selfish ambition is seeking its own glory, becoming callous to the sufferings of other people. And this selfish ambition has created these blind spots, this short-sightedness in you. And so don't call that holy. And don't pretend like you're seeking my glory when it's yours that you're seeking. But then it goes on very interestingly enough. Verse 46. By the way, typically these stories are preached separately and told separately, but I believe they're connected. And they came to Jericho, so that that, that just happened. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. By the way, uh, the way is reference to the journey to Jerusalem and his death. And so it's interesting because here what we see is that we see This is actually the only time, it's funny, when John was preaching, he was talking about the bent woman. And a lot of times in the synoptics, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? The Gospels are are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The synoptics, because they're they're similar in the stories that they tell, and the way that they tell them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic Gospels. In the synoptic Gospels, Bartimaeus is the only one who's ever named. He's the only person who's ever healed that we get his name. Typically, we get the bent woman, the bleeding woman. And here it actually still may even be the son of Timaeus, but, but, but Bartimaeus. And so it's significant that right on the heels of these guys, James and John, that are trying to make a name for themselves, that Jesus is saying, I am actually the one who gives you the name. I am the one who names you. And to counteract the selfish ambition of the disciples, Jesus goes out and then shows us exactly what holy ambition looks like. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, sitting on the roadside. He hears this thing stirring. What's what's all the commotion about? What's all the commotion about? It's it's Jesus of Nazareth. (gasps) He's here? Yeah. Jesus! Jesus! Son of David, by the way, it's a, t- it's, a, it's a title of royalty. Son of David, have mercy on me. You need to shut up. He doesn't want to hear from you. Who are you? You shut your mouth. Okay. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Stick it to the man. Part of rebellion, right? And Jesus stops. He says, "Call him to me." And they go to him and say, "Hey, take, take heart, take heart. He's calling for you." And it's interesting. Jesus asked him the same exact question that he asked the disciples, "What do you want me to do for you?" This blind beggar, have mercy on me. Notice what he doesn't say. Jesus, son of David, let me sit at your right hand. And if not, your left hand, that's cool too, right? Have mercy on me. Jesus notices him, takes heart, and says, take heart. He's he's calling for you. So it's interesting, where, where selfish ambition seeks glory, holy ambition grants mercy. Where selfish ambition seeks glory, holy ambition grants mercy. And where selfish ambition is callous to the sufferings of other people, holy ambition sees the sufferings of other people. And Jesus so says, so what do you want me to do for you? I want you to, I want my sight. I want my sight. And then he gets his sight. It's interesting, right? There's a lot of times in the scripture where where, where Jesus heals physically to point to a greater spiritual reality. You see, where the selfish ambition created the short-sightedness and the blindness, you don't know what you're asking is that holy ambition restores sight. And then where we see this idea where selfish ambition destroys community, holy ambition establishes it. What does it say? Where did, where, where did Bartimaeus go afterwards? I want my sight back. You can have your sight back. Go your way. Okay, I'm just going to go back to the roadside sitting and begging. Nobody knows the difference, but now I can see them. What does it say about Bartimaeus? Bartimaeus, where does he go? He goes on the way. His way becomes Jesus' way. Which is interesting because what he had said to the disciples was, you can't come where I'm going. Go, yeah, yeah, we can. You don't know what you're saying. What within a holy ambition is in, is in play is that Bartimaeus's way becomes Jesus' way. And community is established. You know, we've been we've been in this series about Jesus and healing, and it's interesting because this morning is that often we wouldn't see selfish ambition as something that we need to be healed from. I think one of the things, I think the main thing that Jesus is teaching here is that true greatness in the kingdom will be defined in terms of holy ambition and not selfish ambition. Out there, selfish ambition. And here, holy ambition. But the problem is, is that we live in a world where selfish ambition is actually a virtue, right? You got to follow your dreams at all costs. And by all costs, I mean other people will have to pay the price, You've got to achieve your American dream. You've got to stand above the rest, which oftentimes means you have, to, you have to squash the other ones that are around you. Second place, well, it's just the first loser. That's all that that is. You've got to make sure that you come in first. And it's interesting that as we are, are gaining in our selfish ambition— we're actually following the path of the scriptures, which is we are becoming more callous to the sufferings of other people. We are seeking our own glory. People are making increasingly deci- decisions increasingly so that are short-sighted and, and blinded and our community is being destroyed. And what Jesus says is I want you to, I'm inviting you into something else. It's interesting where in Philippians chapter 2 you could read this later if you'd like but Philippians chapter 2 Paul's writing and he's saying he says do nothing out of selfish ambition nothing out of selfish ambition and he goes on to say that basically he goes on to say Jesus who's the only person, by the way, the only person in history that could, that could legitimately be both selfish and wholly ambitious at the same time. Right, because we were even singing, it's all about him, it's all about you, you're the center, you're the center. So he's actually the only person that could actually be both selfishly and wholly ambitious at the same time. But it tells us in Philippians 2 that he says do nothing out of selfish ambition he goes on because this is, this is the mind that we have in Christ, the one who is all about he laid it all down. He actually didn't even seek his own glory. He actually veiled his glory so that he could serve. And what Paul says is that Jesus laid it down. and whenever we pick up the very thing. That Jesus laid down, it is not holy. But often we think, what I have is holy ambition. And so my my prayer for you is that you and I, that we would be healed of our selfish ambition. I love the places where Jesus is countercultural. He's really countercultural here by the way. And you know, everybody wants to focus on, oh, he's he's countercultural when it talks about sexual ethics. He's countercultural when it talks about abortion. I go, yeah, but here's the other thing is that he's also countercultural when he talks about ambition. And where you may may or may not be wrestling with your sexual identity, where you may or may not be wrestling with an abortion, I guarantee that you are wrestling with selfish ambition. And it is not a virtue. Because it's a virtue out there. It is not to be a virtue here. Among you, it has to be different. And so, my question to you is, where have you been passing off selfish ambition as holy But it's for your glory, God. Maybe. Maybe. But is it making you callous to the sufferings of other people? Has it been seeking glory? Has it been destroying community? Right? Then maybe it's not holy. My prayer is that, as a church, both corporately and individually, is that we would be people who are, who are not selfishly ambitious. Who are with a holy ambition. A holy ambition that grants mercy, that sees the sufferings of other people. Right? That sees... is not callous is not callous to the sufferings of other people that sees and, and in that we would be a community that really does truly actually bring glory to God yeah. my prayer is that God would heal you of your selfish ambition that's my prayer for me I, I'm praying for this even praying for this message it's, it's curing me this world that is inundating and, and always trying to, for lack of a better term, like trying to poison me with it, that my ambition would, would truly be that of yours. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your action. We thank you that that, that you are, even though you are the person in human history that could be both selfishly and wholly ambitious at the same time, is that you said do nothing out of holy, selfish ambition. i just know that around us in marriages and families and workplaces and neighborhoods and households in this church the selfish ambition has its hold it's seeking glory it's becoming callous to the sufferings of others making short-sighted decisions And it's destroying community. Jesus, may we be countercultural Not because it's a great idea, but because we follow you in it. May we not seek the glory. May we grant the mercy. May we not be short-sighted. May we be granted vision. And may we not destroy community, but create it. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.